from now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray, God, that you would see a world so broken, God, so deep in rebellion and sin, God, reveling in it, that you would see a world and send your son as a ministry for our reconciliation to you. God, not only that you would send your son, but that you would exchange him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we could receive the righteousness of God. God, the gospel of what you did through your son, the gospel of that reconciliation and how it has healed us and how it has changed us. God, I pray that it would grow deep. God, the roots of it would grow into our hearts. God, that we would know it. And then we would help other people reconcile themselves to you as you have reconciled yourselves. God, we did not deserve it. God, we are so far. We cannot earn it. We cannot sing it. We cannot serve it away. God, it took your son and his reconciliation to give us your righteousness. What a gospel. God, we just love you for that. We love your son. And it's in his holy and precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. raining outside? Kind of miserable unless you're a flower, I guess, but uh, special, special uh, blessings in heaven for you all for, it's a good day, just kind of makes you feel like sleeping in, doesn't it? But here you are, uh, brave in the storm. All right, Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We live in a world that's filled with conflict, don't we, unfortunately? Even in the church sometimes. Um, Tom Rainer, a uh, church growth guru once compiled a list of conflicts that churches have experienced. I would share with you just a handful. I think they're a bit amusing. One church fought over the length of the worship pastor's beard. Another, another whether or not you should move a clock in the sanctuary. Another fought over the Lord's Supper. Not the deep theology of the Lord's Supper, but is it okay to substitute for the grape juice cran grape juice and have it still count? One church had a big debate over whether it was appropriate at church meals to serve deviled eggs. 
two different churches reported that they fought over the type of coffee that would be served. Would it be Folgers or something more expensive, something a little bit better tasting like Starbucks? Now, I think that we all agree that most of those things are not worth dividing over. The whole coffee thing, however, I understand taking positions on. Can we all just get along? It seems that we're constitutionally incapable of getting along, aren't we? I've read that over the last 4,000 years of recorded history, that nations have not been at war in only about 270, 260, 270 of those years. 92% of world history, of recorded history, there have been some kind of major conflict going on. That would be an estimated 3.65 billion people killed in those wars. And the dividing lines aren't just between nations and militaries, they're between generations. They're between parents and children. We have political divides and moral divides and racial divides and marriage divides. It just seems like we have a hard time being at peace with each other. And yet in the midst of this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says that God has given you and me the assignment of bringing peace in this world. In chapter 5, verse eight, he's 18, he says, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is just bringing peace between two people who are not at peace, two groups who are not at peace. Verse 19, God has committed us then the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. If only... The tasks were easy. Jeremiah in the Old Testament, the, the prophet Jeremiah used to say, or was recorded as saying, people cry out, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Because there are lots of people who will cry out, oh, you can have peace here, and you can have peace there, you have peace by doing this, and yet there is no peace. The message of peace is hard. The way to peace is difficult for people to discern. Lots of people given wisdom out there. Dave Barry, the comedian, said, my, my therapist told me the way to true inner peace was to finish what I start. So today, I finished two bags of M&Ms and a chocolate cake. I feel better already, he says. Somehow I don't think that's going to bring him the inner peace he desires. Well, the good news is God shows us how to have peace in this passage, and he calls us to peace. So let's talk about that. What is the message of reconciliation, and what is our assignment as being ambassadors? What's that look like? Heavenly Father, speak in this time. Help us to hear in this time. Through Christ we pray. Amen. First and most important thing that we need to point out is that reconciliation begins with God. There is no reconciliation unless the reconciliation is from God. This is the point that Paul makes in chapter 5, verse 18. He begins by saying what? Everything is from God. Speaking about peace, speaking about reconciliation. Who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has therefore given us the ministry of reconciliation. The reason that peace eludes so many people is because they don't have peace first from God. You can't have internal peace unless there's peace with God. We all want racial peace. 
Oh, how we wish there could be racial reconciliation. But the reason there will never be racial reconciliation, there will never be reconciliation until there is first reconciliation with God. Everything is from God. And that is why our work as ambassadors matters so much, because we help people find peace with God. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says that He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on Him. I remember, I'll never forget the story that E.V. Hill told years ago. He's preaching in Los Angeles, and he said, um, somebody, he was told, there's, there's a woman here visiting. She's a Black Panther, and she wants to talk to you. It was back in the time when the Black Panthers were quite active and the Black Panthers were quite violent. So he was a little bit taken back. He said, okay, and so they met. And the, the young woman had one question. She said, Reverend Hill, Dr. Hill, you tell me I need to have Jesus. I just want to know, what do you have when you have Jesus? Will he give me a better job? Will he give me more money? Will he give me financial security? Will he give me a bigger house? Will he get whitey off my back? What do you have? What do I get if I have Jesus? Evie Hill said, he looked at her and I said, I, I can't promise you any of those things. He, he may give you a better job, but he may not. He may allow you to have financial security, but he may not. I can't promise you a bigger house or that white people will treat you the way that you deserve. But he said, I can't promise you this. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. And when you have peace with God, you can have peace with yourself. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 tells us we have therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. She looked at Evie Hill and said that would be so that would be so good. She said I've never had a day of peace in my life. You realize that we are living we are surrounded by people who are not at peace. Some of you in this place come to the day and you're at war inside. You're at war with others because you're at war with God. Our message is a message of reconciliation. You can have peace with God. Now, what does that message look like? How do you share that message clearly? I want to take a moment to share that with you, how I would have that conversation. Um, we have pieces of paper and pens on the seat so you can follow along, so you can write this along. Should you accept the assignment of being ambassador for Christ, he has given you the message of reconciliation. I want to give you a tool to share the message of reconciliation so you can be an effective ambassador. I'm going to share with you what's called the, um, the bridge analogy, the bridge illustration. Some of you say, I've heard this one before. Why are you doing it again? Because one of the most important tools for learning is repetition. 
And second, so you can know it so well, you can be so comfortable, you can focus on the person and focus on listening to God when you have this conversation and you're not just focused on yourself and what you're gonna say. When I begin a conversation like this, I would begin a conversation by saying, you know, it begins by thinking about God, understanding God. If you were to use some words to describe God, what are some words that you would use? Now, of course, ultimately we say that God is perfect. If God is not perfect in every way, he is not God. But we think God is perfect. We would say God is perfect in his faithfulness, in his care, in his goodness, in his righteousness. If you put all of the characteristics of God under two umbrellas, they would fit under these two umbrellas. First of all, God is perfectly loving. Second, God is perfectly just, or we would say he's perfectly holy. If God is not perfect in his justice, he is not God. <clears throat> now, you have us over here. What are some words that you would use to describe us? You might use some good words. There are some good things to say about us. But I think that if you summarize all of those things into two words, you could say two things. We are loved. I would want somebody to know that. You are loved by God. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no matter what you feel about yourself, you are made by God and loved by God. Second word to describe us is sin. And sin separates us from God creates this massive canyon between us and God. We've sung about that this morning. Now, to understand sin, I think it helps to understand the word that's most used in the New Testament for the word sin means to miss the mark. So I like to draw a, oops, what just happened there? I like to draw a, a, a target. Oh, come on, come back. Okay, I like to draw a target and have people imagine you're going target practicing. The word here, if you want to be a smart elk, which you don't want to be, is hamartia in Greek, to miss the mark. Imagine you're going out with your bow and arrow or you're going out with your, you know, your glock or something, and, uh, and you're shooting at the target. Sin is to miss the mark. So certainly if, the, if your arrow goes way over here and you miss the target completely, that's sin. But sin also is hitting the target here or hitting the target here. In fact, there is a perfect dead center to the target that is the perfect shot. Anything other than a perfect shot, anything that is just like a half centimeter over to the side is imperfect. That's sin. Now ask yourself the question, how much do you sin? How imperfect are you? Now appreciate, to get into heaven, you have to be perfect, right? Put a little bit of, just a drop of poison in a glass of water, the whole thing is destroyed. Put a, just a touch of sin in heaven, it's no longer heaven. God must be just, has to deal with the sin. So, um, so the sin separates us from God. How bad, how, how much do you sin? You know what scares me as I got to thinking about this as I was writing this message? I can't preach without sinning. It just hit me as I'm writing this. I sin 
profusely every time I preach. Why? Yeah, she knows. She hears that. Yeah, there's a voice heard. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, because although my motives may be mostly right, imagine for sake of argument, my motives are 95% pure. There's a percentage of impurity because I'm partially motivated by ego. I'm partially motivated by pride. I want you to think good things about me. I'm motivated by ego. I want as few people to fall asleep in the middle of my sermon as possible, as few people to walk out in disgust because they're bored to tears as possible. So I get up here and preach every Sunday, and I sin. In fact, the Bible says, where words are many, sin is not absent. The more words I use, the more I sin. Think about what a horrible sinner I am because I get up here and preach to you, but think about how much worse you are when you go to work. <laughs> you know, how much do you sin? Boy, you say, wow, we sin a bunch, don't we? Now the question is, how do we, how do we bridge this chasm between us and God that's created by sin? Most people believe the way that we do that is through good works. You build a bridge by doing good things. Every world religion says we get up to God by doing good things, even people who aren't religious. You ask them, why do you think you're going to get into heaven? They'll say, I'm a pretty good person. Why is that person who just died? Why do you think they're in heaven? Oh, they lived a good life. But I just stood up here and told you that I can't preach for 35 minutes without it being full of sin. How much of your goodness is really good? It kind of eliminates that possibility, doesn't it? So what do we do? Here's the answer. This is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's just another word for sin. And therefore, he has committed us the message of reconciliation. See, God sent Christ into this world to die on the cross. As the passage says later on, to be he who knew no sin. He lived a perfect life, offered himself as the sin sacrifice for us. Jesus lived a perfect life, therefore when you believe in God, when you believe in Jesus, that he died for you, then Jesus on the cross takes your sin and you get his righteousness. And the beautiful thing about that that you can understand is God is just and Jesus' sacrifice satisfies the just nature of God. Sin is paid for, is justly dealt with. Again, some people say, well, can't God just look the other way? Why does somebody have to die for sin? Because if God is not just, he is not God. <laughs> he, there must be a sacrifice for sin because of the character of God. And God cannot be less than God. But God's loving nature is satisfied because he is the one who pays the price so that we can go free. And that's what the Bible means when it says 
Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 is a good verse to start to memorize. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What I have just explained to you is called grace. We receive God's forgiveness by the grace of Jesus Christ. Grace simply means gift. Now here's the question. How do you receive the grace? It's one thing for the grace, the gift to be offered, but there is a second part of the dynamic, and that is the gift has to be received. That is why in the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, the people asked the question in verse 37, what do we need to do to be saved? They heard about the grace of Jesus Christ. They understood that they had sinned. What do we need to do? Well, we would say the first thing we need to understand, the Bible says, is we have to believe. Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Those people believed that they had sinned, that Jesus died for them. They believed, and therefore they're saying, what do we need to do? In Acts 2.38, the apostles say, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Another word for repent is just turn. It simply means you turn from walking the way you were walking to walking with Jesus. You turn from an independence from God to an dependence on Jesus Christ as your good shepherd. You turn away from rebelling against God and living your own life your own way to turn to walk in surrender to Jesus Christ. Repent. It's a one-time thing. It's a day-to-day thing, isn't it? It's a one-time thing where when we initially give our lives to Christ, we make that decision to turn. But the reality is, every day we tend to do this. At least I tend to do this. No, you tend to do this too, right? They, every day it's kind of like, I want to go this way. and I So we're going, that's one of the reasons I love communion. Because at communion, every week it gives us an opportunity to say, oh Lord, I thank you that I'm righteous because of Jesus, but I know how I've not followed you this week. And I want to turn again to follow you. I recommit, because I want to walk in harmony with you. Repent and be baptized. Again, Acts 2.38, what do we need to do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Be baptized. F.F. Bruce says there is no such thing in the early church as an unimmersed follower of Christ, member of the church, Christian. I think it's quite unfortunate. Now let me say it like this. I think one of the, one of the greatest hindrances to the church being the church is casual cultural Christians. But I think part of the reason we have so many casual cultural Christians is because in the last century people started to teach a transactional approach to salvation, and they downplayed the significance of baptism. In fact, maybe some of you come from places, or you have even said, oh, baptism doesn't matter. Baptism isn't important. You don't need to be baptized. Really? That's not what the apostles said. 
this transactional approach that we've taken is a cheap grace. Oh, all you need to do is accept Jesus and pray a prayer, which is not in the Bible, pray a prayer that we make up, pray a prayer, and you receive. You get forgiveness of sins. You get heaven, and it's all by grace. Do you see how that's cheap grace? In baptism, God shows us what it means to repent and to follow Jesus. No longer is Christianity some transactional thing, some deal that we make with God. In Romans chapter 6, Jesus makes, or Jesus makes this point through the Apostle Paul when he says, those of you who are baptized into Christ were buried with Christ. Remember what Jesus said about being his follower? Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless you take up your cross and follow me. And a person who takes up a cross is dying. It's not a transactional thing. It is a complete life transformation. Paul says, you are buried with Christ that you may be raised to walk in newness of life. The Apostle Paul would say in Galatians chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the reason baptism matters, one of the reasons it matters, it doesn't save us because it like makes us God indebted to us. It's not an act of works. It is a statement that we make to ourselves and to God and to the world. I, the old person, has died. A new person is living. Therefore, my future is not a future of negotiating with God about priorities. My future is not a future of negotiating with God about obedience. It's not a negotiating with God about morality. That was all settled once and for all when I died to the old person in the waters of baptism. Be baptized. And I think that part of the reason that there's so much casual Christianity is that we teach this cheap grace without teaching what Jesus said. If you want to be his disciple, you got to tape your cross and follow him. This is what Paul means when he says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And you can have peace with God because of Jesus' grace and you receive it in faith. Now, what does it mean Accept the assignment. The assignment we are given, he says, is to be ambassadors. Um, chapter 5, verse 20 um, says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Imagine for a moment you are given the assignment to be ambassador of the United States in Saudi Arabia. Some of you have represented the United States in other places. You know that responsibility. Now, we could wipe out Saudi Arabia if we wanted, but we don't want to. We want to have good relations with them. And so your responsibility would be to represent the United States well. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ in a hostile world. God could wipe out this world if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to. He wants 
everybody to know him, everybody to come to repentance. And so he gives us the responsibility to bring peace by being ambassadors. I think there are three responsibilities we can think about when about being ambassadors. First, it's the responsibility to represent well, to live an honorable lifestyle. We, all, we live in the Washington area. We've heard the stories of ambassadors and diplomats from other nations who get drunk and wreck cars and run over people, right? And we think that is not a very good representative of their government. We represent well by our lifestyle. So people look at us and they say, I wonder what their king is like. That, that must be a good king. They serve King Jesus. That's why Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You are ambassadors. It's not what you do. It is who you are. It's your identity. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 12, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, meaning non-Christians, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Amber Geiger, former police officer, Dallas, Texas, who was found guilty of murder, murdering both in Jean. She shot and killed Jean in his own home, claiming she thought he was in the wrong home and he was a burglar. And the case drew national attention because of allegations of racism, Geiger being white and Jean being African-American. She was found guilty, sentenced to 10 years in prison. Many felt like it was far too lenient. Inside the courtroom, it was interesting what happened. It was a powerful moment. As both in Jean's brother, Brant, took the stand and represented Jesus Christ. I want you to watch this and think about what does it mean to be an ambassador for Christ? Let's watch this together. I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the things, the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And. I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not gonna say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. 
Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. I have so much respect for that young man. If there's one word I'd use to describe him, it's peace. There's a young man who has peace with God. I'm not sure that I could do what he did. But you can tell he has peace with other people because he first of all has peace with God. My guess is that he's gone through a whole bunch of painful stuff to learn to have peace with God. Reports are that there was hardly a dry eye in the room if you looked during that scene, you saw the judge herself was moved to tears. CNN reported that shortly afterward, the judge, Tammy Kemp, handed Geiger a Bible. She said to the defendant, take this, it is mine, you can have it, it's the one I use every day. Your, Bible, your job this next month is to read this book every day. And she said, I want you to start with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I watched that scene for the first time <clears throat> and was really humbled as a preacher because <clears throat> preachers can preach about forgiveness and grace, thousands of sermons, and not have a fraction of the impact of that one ambassador's actions in life. People are watching. People are watching you. Our opportunities may not be so dramatic, but maybe they will be sometimes. Young people, you're being watched in school. You are ambassador for Christ by the way that you treat each other, by the way that you treat your teachers, by the quality of the work that you do. We are ambassadors for Christ as we go to work. And if people see us as angry, if we're always arguing bitterly about politics, if we're always backbiting, hostile, you think they're going to be impressed by our offer of peace? They're watching us, whether we go to the restaurant or to Walmart, wherever we go. Jesus said, they'll know that you're my followers if you love one another, represent. Second ambassadors are respectful. The ugly American is the arrogant person who disrespects people because they look down on them. Ambassadors for Christ treat people with dignity because they're made in the image of God one specific thing that means is that we listen humbly and we learn. One of our greatest dangers is knowledge. Knowledge makes us blind. Knowledge makes us arrogant. A friend of mine, <clears throat> uh, Shadonke Johnson, is a minister in Sierra Leone, Africa. And um, 
he said this past week that the first time he ever came to the United States, he was invited to California, hosted by a couple in California. And when he got to their house, they were really nice. And they gave him the tour and they said in his room, this is how you turn the light. This is the light switch that turns on the lights, electricity. And, and went to the bathroom and flushed the toilet. And this is how run, the running water. And, and went, showed him the jacuzzi and said, you hit these buttons and this is how the jacuzzi works. And, and Shadonke said he listened and he really appreciated it. It was kind. And then <clears throat> a couple of years later, that man in California, from California had an opportunity to do mission work with Shadonke, stayed at Shadonke's house. Shadonke said, I made sure that the room he stayed in was the room with the jacuzzi. <laughs> and he saw they have light switches there like our light switches and they have running water like we have running water he said he wasn't there five minutes when he came out he said I'm so Shadonke I'm so embarrassed Shadonke said why he said because of how I treated you and Shadonke said that's fine don't don't that's okay let's go. and he gave him an opportunity to have a conversation knowledge blinds us we know people are lost. We know they need Jesus. And we assume we know what they need to hear. But we don't know their longings that are obvious to them. We don't know how they are, where their openness is to Christ, how they have eternal longings that are not attached to eternal things. We don't know what their questions are. And so we go in with a humble attitude of, I don't know. Um, again, somebody has said, knowledge blinds us and it makes us arrogant. Either and it makes us not trust the Holy Spirit because either we say, I have so much, I know how to do this, I'm confident in my knowledge, I can share Christ with somebody and we don't rely on the Holy Spirit. Or we say, I don't have enough knowledge to trust in my knowledge and therefore I can't talk. Again, to not trust the Holy Spirit. In humility, we go and we learn, we listen, and we learn respectfully. And then we share the message accurately. If you're the message, if, if you are the ambassador to Saudi Arabia and the president sends you a message to deliver to the king of Saudi Arabia to let them know, let him know you are not pleased by their relationship with terrorists, that is not going to be a very pleasant message to share. But what do you do? You share it accurately because it's not your message to change. It's your message to deliver faithfully. Your message as ambassadors is to share God's message. Verse 20, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ since, get this, God is making his appeal through us. It's God's message. It's God's appeal by God's power. And so we share his word confidently, even though people don't necessarily want to hear it, even though people don't want to hear that life is sacred. And no, it's not your body, your choice. It's God's body, his choice. And marriage is sacred, and gender is sacred. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8 says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse beyond him. God's word is true and it is powerful and if we change it, 
There's a curse on us. A friend of mine, Jim Putman, was telling me this past week about having a conversation with a well-known preacher. You would, many of you would recognize his name. Um, Large Church has been a faithful, Bible-believing preacher for years, but recently has begun to change. Not because of what the Bible says, but because of his experience, feelings, and other people's experience. Anyway, and he said to Jim, he said, Jim, if we keep teaching, telling people that homosexuality is sin, we're going to lose this generation. And Jim said, if we quit telling people that homosexuality is sin, we lose God. We lose the blessing of God. Or as Paul would say, we're under a curse. Every once in a while, people will say, people say, Brett, well, I really appreciate how courageous you are in being faithful to what the Bible says. It really doesn't take much courage to not want to be under a curse from God. It's just kind of a pragmatic thing as far as I'm concerned. God is making his appeal through us, and we trust his word because his word is powerful. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, The word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We trust the word of God, and we trust the power of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. It is why, you know, you'll hear about churches in decline. Churches in decline, historically, (laughs) churches that are faithful to the scriptures do not decline, at least in the West. It is those who accommodate to the culture who eventually lose God's blessing and lose the power. So the key is to trust the Bible and the Holy Spirit and say, God, I just want you to direct me. I I just want to be in step with you. I want to be your ambassador as though literally you are making your appeal through me. Isn't that how you want to live? You want to live on your own? Or do you want to live as though God is literally making his appeal through you? So what's your next step? Some of you need to be baptized. You need to repent and be baptized. All of us need to step up and accept the call to be ambassadors. See yourself as an ambassador this week. It is, what you, it is who you are, not just what you do. Look for opportunities to be an ambassador. Represent Christ well by your actions and your attitudes. Look for opportunities to listen and learn. When I say God has called you to be his ambassador, you, we are ambassadors for Christ. Who do you think of? Who's coming to your mind right now that you're thinking this person doesn't have peace with God? I know these people that don't have peace with God. Would you own your neighborhood? Would you own, can we own Northern Virginia? And say, Lord, we want to be your ambassadors in this place so people can have peace with you, so your peace can reign in our generation. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make us your church for your glory, by your power. We thank you that you've given us your, your word and your spirit. God, we acknowledge our weakness, our fears, and we just throw ourselves at you saying, Lord, make us your people. 
Lord, help us to hear you right now and to take whatever next step you have for each of us. Through Christ I pray, amen.